Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now. Here on Reality Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And uh, please remember, you can send me a text at 2057 uh, and email me at inbox at realitycheck.radio. One of the remarkable things of these past few years is how we have all made wonderful, beautiful friends who now mean so much to us. and. I've personally found the COVID experience very, very tough, as I've explained. And I lost a lot of friends and colleagues. And in in terms of, you know, they didn't want to talk to me. But then I made these wonderful friends. And they're very, we're very deeply connected. And it's been a great pleasure to me because they come from across the spectrum of life and the spectrum of politics and the spectrum of experience and rather than my normal colleagues and friends who were in hindsight quite narrow and they're all gifted and talented and one of my wonderful new friends we've got on the show I interviewed her. She's wonderful. I interviewed her on that other radio station and it got disappeared. So it must have been good. And it's Mary Hobbs. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Rodney. Lovely to talk to you again. Oh, you have no idea. And it's, I should tell you so much. There's so much to tell about Mary, but you, you write beautiful books. Mary writes beautiful books with beautiful pictures, beautiful photos of New Zealand life, high country life, experience, and the books are a work of art. They're physically a work of art. And then the words and the photos are just gobsmackingly beautiful. You're you're a very, very talented woman. Oh, thank you, Rodney. And Mary's well, had a... Sorry? Oh, that's all right. I was just going to say, I always try to capture the spirit of the people or the environment that I'm working with. Well, it's I wonderful what you do. And then she, she writes for the Daily Telegraph, and I came across her early in the COVID days, and she was writing these amazing um columns and still continues to this day, and it's they're very evocatively written. Mary, uh, you're you're a very gifted writer, and you live in one of the most iconic parts of New Zealand, and you've lived there for how many years, Mary? Well, um, since I married my lovely Charlie, actually, in 1995. So since 1995, Mary's lived at Mount Cook, and Pretty Charlie, much Charlie, time, yes. Charlie is like a real New Zealand guy, because he's a mountain guide. He is, mountain and ski guide, veteran mountain and ski guide, and he's done 
many expeditions to the most remote parts of the world. That's like every boy's dream to be that sort of guy, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> most yeah, that's right. The action guys, for sure. He's like our Bear Grillis. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and when you say veteran, is that that when you say veteran mountain guide and ski guide, does that sort of mean he's old now? <laughs> oh, he's eternally young at heart, but um, but it means that he is um, very experienced. Yes, it's a lovely way of putting it. He's a veteran. He he. It's what he's done. That's right. Yeah. And you That's must right. have you must have known all the all the great climbers of New Zealand. I've known. Uh, yes, I have known a lot of really amazing mountain guides in my time, and um, uh, outdoor people in all fields, actually. Because I had the magazine New Zealand Outside, I, I created New Zealand Outside magazine and uh, published and wrote for that for ten years. Uh-huh. And yes, it was it was um, um, it, it had it contained listings of adventure operators and ecotourism operators throughout the country, and so one of my jobs was to go right throughout the country and meet with the adventure tourism operators and and um, advocate for them and to also um, uh, be their voice. And as part of that magazine, we, um, we set up a trust as well that uh, helped disadvantaged young people to get into the outdoors and to find maybe a vocation there too. That we must have been... That must have been quite extraordinary. You bring someone who hasn't been outdoors to the great New Zealand outdoors. That must have been quite a shock to them. Well, we'd give them an opportunity, um, you know, for instance, uh, invite people to write in and um, say why they might like to do an outdoor course or have people write in for them. And if they didn't have the wherewithal to do it and... I remember there was one very traumatised young teenager and, and, and we'd put them on, outward, we'd pay for the outward bound courses or what, where, you know, that sort of thing. And, and that, was, that was a very rewarding part of the um, magazine that we had. I bet. I and, did out. I did we out. made it very high quality so that um, it would be something that could be gifted out, for instance, during the America's Cup. Yes, we um, we we offered it to Westpac, I think it was, as and and bundled it with a discount card for Outdoor Adventures, and mm. they ordered twenty thousand copies of the magazine and um, distributed those as part of their America's Cup sponsorship. You're very entrepreneurial, and, aren't you? Well, we um, have to be. Uh, Rodney to be able to survive in small business. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing about you is you're a nurse. You were a nurse. I did train as a nurse, yes. And I um, I thought I wanted to know the secrets of how to make people well. And I... I, I I found it a very challenging environment for a number of reasons. 
But where I felt most at home, I guess, was advocating for the patients and being someone that could be there to back them up and help them. And um, But as I got through and I became a registered nurse, I, I did question, because the more senior you became, the more the more drugs and pills you got to give out. And, you know, there was a drug round after every mealtime. And I looked at these pills and I thought, right, well, I'm giving this deal with that symptom. But then these two other drugs that this patient is having are to deal with the side effects for the first drug I've just given. So what what are we doing here? Wow. And I felt very uncomfortable with it. And... I was probably about 21 at the time and I couldn't really justify myself being uh, in a place that I didn't feel was making a positive difference. So I gravitated, I I did a year's staff nursing in men's orthopaedic, which was fantastic. I loved that, mending broken bones. Uh, And then I went to um, uh, do a year as a staff sister in coronary care. And that was where the buck stopped with you if somebody's heart stopped. So you'd just have to get it going again. And you were given all the powers that a doctor would have in those first few minutes until a doctor arrived. And senior cardiologist of the unit would give you a personal examination before you were okay to do all those things. So that carried a fair amount of responsibility and it was also amazing. You uh, got a wonderful voice of indeterminate age, and so I'm going to ask you just to locate in time when that would be. Oh, uh, well, what, I yes. probably wouldn't tell you, Rodney, because I'm just like Charlie, just eternally young. Yes. <laughs> well, you're also a little intimidating, you and Charlie, right? No, impossible. Yes, because you climb mountains and stuff, right? Like I, I look up there and... You know, I'm happy if I can climb the stairs to the calf. <laughs> well, Charlie's, Charlie's the mountain man. I, I have gone on expedition with him and I have climbed mountains, that's true, and skied down them and, and loved it because that takes a certain amount of confront and when you overcome those physical obstacles, there's a, a special kind of um, fantastic feeling that you get. Um, that you've overcome some personal uh, challenges and uh, and come out the other end, you know, and you're yes. still alive. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And and so you know, I've been in I've been in the deep field in Antarctica where the, there's been a blizzard for nine days, and you're you're sheltered in a Scott tent, and you know, <laughs> or I've been on mountains where you have to be roped up to go out to any little um, hut toilet or so so there's all those um, you know there's all those physical aspects of adventure that can be on the edge from time to time I'm reading a book called Deep Survival and it's about how some people survive and some people don't when there's a you know big thing happening and it's about the ability to control your mind in a threatening circumstance 
And some people have it, some people don't. Some people have it and don't have it on a particular day. And some people mm. would never have it and then they have it. And what a mountaineer and your experiences you described to me is mirrored in this book. And it relates mm. to tough times because it's very easy to just lose your mind and throw your hands up. Mm. And when you're in a blizzard for nine days or roped up to get to the <laughs> outside to the toilet or whatever, <laughs> yeah. you can't say, oh, my God, <clears throat> this is so cold. I just want to curl up and die. Yeah. And you learn that. And then I imagine this. So when life comes along and you're having a tough time in business or with government or with COVID, you can draw upon that experience and see a way through. Mm. And that's what challenge does to people. And what you look around and you worry that not sufficient New Zealanders have been presented with a challenge. And when a challenge comes along for real, it could be a personal challenge, could be a business challenge, could be a life challenge, could be a cataclysmic challenge of some description and hap down through the ages. They're not going to be able to be resilient and think their way through it. That is true, but I think that um, my uh, growing up with the parents I had had a, a very bit large effect on my life too. And um, my my father and mother were quite they were quite different and had their own special qualities, of course. But but dad had to innovate. He his mother was widowed when he was eighteen months old, and he uh, they went through. Um, he was quite a bit older than mum, and they went through the those um, depression years and. The overriding uh, memories he carried from that time were the great love that they had in their family. Mm. And he, he had to leave school at a young age to help support the family. But he would stand up uh, to uh, bullies and he would stand up to authority if he thought it was wrong and they were on the wrong track. And, and he showed us <coughs> through his stories that um, your personal integrity was more important than anything and you had to stick to that and things would come out right because you always knew at the end of the day if you had that, you had everything. But if you lost that, if you compromised that, if you uh, didn't, didn't stay with that inner truth, well, then you start to lose yourself. And that's actually interesting because in saying that to you now, a lot of those letters that I wrote, wrote those open letters to the government in 2020 when all this was hitting New Zealand, I, I tried to give them a view of what it was like as uh, self-employed people from a small business uh, viewpoint and what was happening 
and I called these articles from the trenches. And what I tried to communicate to them was was that we we had to stay true to what was right and and we had to follow through on that, not on what anyone else told us. And and they had to stay true to what they were purporting to do, which was most of us had the mistaken idea that they were there to represent us, mm. and they should be, but they're not. So so I was trying to remind them of that. that they that were very most... beautiful. Tell me, where do you think, you say, personal integrity is very important, and it, if you don't have it, you, you don't know who you are. Mm. But why is that? Why? I mean, I, 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 this is a sort of a genuine question because I think it is so, right? Mm. But why is it important? Is it because there's a – I'm actually asking a question. Is it because there's a higher power holding us to account? Or is it, well, I, yeah, yeah. is it internal to us as a human being? Well, I think it is that, it, going back to when I was a nurse, I, I did feel that and have an inner knowing always that you were mind, body and spirit. You are mind, body and spirit. And, and I can remember looking at what, was being done in hospitals, and don't get me wrong. I mean, if you've got a fractured femur, you need you need medical assistance. But and if you've got excruciating pain, you need pain relief on an acute basis. All sorts of things like that. But I'm talking about the holistic way of healing, and you you do have to address if you want people have to participate in their own well-being and health and take responsibility as well, and you do have to be given helped with. Um, the tools to be able to uh, enable you to do that and to understand how you can do it. And so that involves mind, body and spirit. And if if you remove the spirit part and just go with the body and the mind, that's not quite, you know, mm. it's that intrinsic um, essence of everyone, that are, the human spirit that is so beautiful and... Mm. And that is what we honour when we have personal integrity. I guess that's what it is. I hope that articulates. It does. Well. And, and it's this interesting thought that I have that if you're in, if you're in the bureaucracy, yes. you literally can't have personal integrity. Because well, I think you can. Well, I wonder because... I imagine what happens is you start there and you've got your degree and you're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Yes. And then you see something and you think, oh, that's not right. And your manager says, no, this is just the way it is, right? This has come down from on high. We have to write our... You know, it could be anything, but let's just pick on a silly one. You have to write your pronouns in your email sign-off. And you say, but 
that's freaking stupid because, <laughs> you know, my name's Rodney Hyde. Clearly, I'm a boy, right? You're right. He, him, them, they, whatever. This is just um, fatuous. Mm-hmm. But it, and and you'd probably get away with it, but there'd be a little mark mm-hmm. across you. And then as you ascend the bureaucracy, you'd be making a decision, I either stay in here and just go with the fashion, bureaucratic fashion of the day, the politics of the day, mm-hmm. or maintain my personal integrity. And I just think it would get stripped. And I think the same now must happen if you're working for a large company or an international company or even a plumbing business. You know, you've got to comply with the dictates of... Well, it was very much hierarchical and nursing. and um... Yes, but back then... Yeah. 15 years ago. Um, <laughs> it was a lot longer than that. Uh, um, back then, it was about nursing and integrity. It wasn't about politics or, I can't say the word, superfluous things, whatever that word is, like things, extra things. Yeah. 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 It, it, was, it was about um, nursing, whereas now it's all this other stuff that you have to comply with. And, you, you know, you're at Vodafone, right, or One New Zealand or Spark or whatever they are, and they suddenly decide that, you know, turf should be deplatformed and um, we've got to be pro-trans and, you know, they're tweeting this rubbish out. And you're sitting there and say, this is nuts. But you couldn't express that, right? I, I mean, just going back to the the nursing as an example, a surgeon's word was law, and everyone had to obey it. There was no yes. question. So, I come on an afternoon shift, and this wonderful man who'd been had his pelvis crushed between two railway carriages and was with us for quite some time, always no matter how much the pain, was always cheerful and lovely. He looked visibly distressed, and I said to him, Eric, what is wrong? And he said, oh, it's nothing. He said, it's just surgeon's been in, and he's ordered me out to Burwood, and it means my lovely wife won't be able to visit me for a day like she does, and and I'll be out there for three months. And he he was distressed. And I said, "Well, that's not going to happen." <laughs> Just and and he said, "Oh no, it's too late. The you know the ambulance guys are arriving this afternoon." And indeed, they did. So I went out to the balcony and I said to the boys out there, "Can we squeeze up, guys?" And I told them the story, and they said, "No problem." So I went back to Eric and I said, it's all arranged. And the ambulance chaps arrived and they said, we're here to transfer him. And I said, no, he's not going anywhere. And they said, well, the surgeons ordered it. And I said, that's all right. I'm on in the morning. I'll sort that out. And I had no idea at that time how I was going to sort it out, but I was going to, and Eric was going to stay. (laughs) 
And so um, <clears throat> he did stay, and I did sort it out. But, you know, there was a... It certainly gave pause for thought to question to question that amount of um, degree of hierarchy in those times. And of course, I but, often but imagine. You, sorry, carry on. Yeah, sorry, you go. But you're no longer a nurse. I was then. Yes, but you didn't have a career nursing. I mean, you, my point is, it yeah. didn't work for you, and I think possibly, would you say, because of who you are? Well, that, well, I realised that the answers I was seeking weren't in nursing as mm. such, but it was valuable information to have anyway. Mm. And I, I did my career. I, I spent probably another two or three years in nursing after that, and then I left. Um, and have you often thought how you would have handled being a nurse in 2020? I would have been, um, I would have not been there. I would have been one of the ones that they would have stood down. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you, but you would have been problematic before then, I suspect. Oh, definitely. Well, it's a know, troubling, it's a hot. <laughs> It's a whole troubling. It's a whole troubling thing. This this conditioning, and this maintain yeah. maintenance of your personal integrity. Because I find I love this radio. It's been the greatest thing for me, because I find I can just talk, and I don't have um, a filter running over me that you know. Oh, I can't say that, or I can't do that, which I do a normal conversation unless I'm with people who I know very, very well. And I notice it with my kids at school. So I explained to my daughters, <laughs> son, that it's not a hard thing to explain, right? That there's no way on God's earth that a boy can become a girl. And there's no That's way right. on God's earth that a girl can become a boy. Right. And you can, you know, put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. Mm -hmm. And they understand that in 60 seconds, of course, right? But they say, mm -hmm. Dad, Dad, you know, you can't say that. <laughs> and I say, what? They said, you can't say that. You'll be these are this 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 is at eleven. You can't. You'll be oh. you're a transphobe, right? It's tragic. And so you realise they're learning at a very young age now to put aside their personal integrity. Mm. You can't stand up in school and say, "I think," you know. Sex is binary, and there you can be a little confused, but that's pretty much it for ninety nine point nine nine percent, and it's what biology depends upon. Or, I think that you know this climate change thing is not a dangerous thing to be happening, and on and on it goes. Say, 
when you and I were at school, you would have been listened to and explained why you were wrong or had a debate. They're not allowed to say it. But imagine if all of them did say it. Oh, it'd be wonderful. There would be, the whole the whole thing would collapse. It would because it's it's by our silence that that they gain control. It's by um, it's by their intimidation, their name calling, their uh, propaganda and indoctrination. Because mm. um, no, being a transphobe is a bad thing, right? And that being a climate change denier is a bad thing. Being a, a anti-vax is a bad thing. They create a name to label you right. and avoid an argument. Yeah, that's right. And it's uh, it's uh, manipulation and it's mind control. And but imagine if everyone stood up and said no. So some but, of us have to do that. To well, be they able did to give us space. They did, didn't they? Stand up at one point and say no. That's true. And 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 you and I, I remember, you and I were utterly shocked at the depth and breadth of the people standing up and saying no. You mean at Camp Freedom? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. huge. Great. It was amazing. And um. I can I I I look the the government of the day and the opposition of the day and the officials of the day and the news media of the day I think we're terrified because yes. how do you run a country when there's something like thirty percent not consenting to be governed in this way or to be or not agreeing with the news as reported mm-hmm. i mean it was mind blowing and it's still there and it will never go away never because go it away. was our stand for freedom yeah and it was a pivotal moment in our our history as new zealanders and it was uh, I, I mean attending Camp Freedom at that time was a medal of honour in many ways mm. for everyone. Mm. And it was to to be there and to be part of that and to stand for what was true and right um, is, is something none of us will ever forget. Mm. And it was so lovely. It was... And I... I knew we had to go because I wanted to physically see with my own eyes what it was like. I wanted to I wanted to experience it so that I would know when anyone tried to um, to 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 cast a negative light on that mm. on that um, protest. I would I would be able to speak from experience and. I- and you so can that's say, why we went. You can say, I was there. That's right. I and rushed home to get my kids to take them. I know. I, I heard your talk there, actually. And you did. You said you were coming back to bring them to camp. Yes, because I wanted them to grow up 
and always having the story the day their dad and mum took them to this place on Parliament grounds and they pitched a tent and they stayed on Parliament grounds because if you lived to 100, you'd still be telling that story. Absolutely. And do you know, Rodney, just as you're saying that, I realise you were obviously the leader of ACT at one stage but you, and you made many speeches in Parliament, but that speech and those speeches that you made on the grounds in front of Parliament were probably the most important in your life and the most important in the lives of New Zealanders who heard them. Oh, that's very kind. Isn't that lovely? I mean, the fact that that was where you gave your most important speech. I believe it was. Interesting. And I, I believe it was because it was pure. That's in right. the sense that when you're in Parliament, you can't help but be mindful of the politics of the situation that you're in, of the votes, of you know being a politician and you're in opposition or you're in government and there's a bit of a game going on. And I was obviously known in the sense that I was an ex-MP. But I had no, you know, I had no horse in the race other than as a New Zealander. And you couldn't move into that village without being deeply moved. And the other thing that had just happened to me I was deeply moved by the village. But what to this day shocked me to my core was meeting the vaccine injured. Mm. And I had never, I had entertained it as a possibility that this vaccine could damage you, or, you know, let's call it the jab that the jab could damage you. I entertained that because I thought there's no way. This is odd technology, you know, RNA into your cells, crazy. And no testing, it's a completely new mm-hmm. substance. So I thought, well, I'm not taking that because that cannot be safe. They can't guarantee its safety or its effectiveness. So I never took it. I was, you know, weighing it up. But it never occurred to me. And even when I was hearing about people being injured, I thought, it's just a coincidence. My brain couldn't grasp it. And then I met these vaccine-injured people and the fatalities, families. Mm. And, you know, in life, you develop a pretty good bullshit detector, right? You've got to be pretty good to overcome um, when you're talking to someone, when they're spinning you, you know, when someone's telling you a story. These were genuine yeah. people. These were true stories. There was no doubting them. There's uh-huh. no, there was absolutely no doubting them. And I was sick to my core. And I couldn't get over in that day the monstrosity of telling people, have this, 
or lose your job, your career, your house, and your family. Have this. And these people had that, being told by bosses, boards of corporations, prime ministers, politicians, health experts, doctors, it's safe and effective. And they quickly discovered it wasn't. And rather than us embracing these people and saying, oh my God, you know, what's happened here? You know, they were systematically pushed away by the doctors. Rodney, it was shocking. You know, the, um, the, the, trauma, the trauma those people are still suffering from, being forced, as it were, to have a medical procedure or not feed their families or um, lose their homes or um, lose their jobs and not have any other job. It was shocking. And, and then to make them go through that and then to tell them it was all in their minds Yes. that they were injured, that's beyond evil. You know, it's that is evil. just beyond evil. It is shocking. And <clears throat> there, is, there, is abs- there is absolutely no excuse for that, and ACC are meant to be there to cover those, um, those sorts of injuries without denying them. And, and, and to think that they, they betrayed them even further... And, yes. And just it, look after them. It's a double betrayal. Treason. No other way for it. I, I, I will never vote for the existing parties. Ever. And I'll never, I can't vote act for what they did and how they've treated the vaccine injured. And um, I have a vote for the party that will promise at the very least, a civic committee inquiry where the injured and the families of the dead can speak. And, and be compensated. Well, I'm not even... I, I, I actually think, you and I agree on that, but mm. I am willing to say, let's actually just test the evidence. You know what I mean? Let's just have it find out. Like, I'm... I've made my mind up. I don't know the extent of it, but let's actually find out. It's this idea that we're not allowed to even inquire into what the hell has gone on here and happened. When clearly the government admits some died, right, and it was caused by the vaccine, they've admitted that, yes, some people had uh, myocarditis and pericarditis. Yes, that's happened. So if that's happened once, twice, 10, 20 times, and you and I know it's much more than that, that's grounds for a proper inquiry. And I don't, I don't, you can't compare tragedy. But look at what we did over Pike River. And that was a terrible tragedy, terrible for the families. Um, but this is a Pike River times how many fold? 
And this is a Pike River where you didn't choose to go down a mine. You were forced to go down the mine. And it was adults that went down the mine, not children. And these bastards did this to kids. And that's what I, um, that day when I gave that speech, I was crying. Mm. I was crying for the people who were treated in that way. And I was crying for my country. Oh, yeah. And I haven't stopped. Well, I haven't stopped, Mary. I have. I haven't stopped. No, I understand it. It's a very, it's a very, um, it's a very large um, issue to confront. It, it is. It's, it's so it's so evil. It's almost not able to be confronted. You know, you have difficulty confronting it. Well, I can understand. Um, my friends and colleagues and neighbours and my community literally sticking their head in the sand because it's so mm. difficult that, you know, they've been jabbed, the kids have been jabbed. Oh, my God, what's all this mean? But I expect our authorities and political leaders to be able to confront reality, deal with problems. Right, be upfront, and when you say this personal integrity that is so near and dear to you, and how you were brought up, and how if you don't have this personal integrity, you're not a human being. You you got can't have self respect. How on earth do these people that populate our news, whether they be health officials or politicians? Where's their integrity? I know. I don't. I don't know where it is. But I where's, mean, you know, where, where's the integrity? Sometimes we, can, sometimes we can feel more brave than at other times too. That's true. You know, I mean, That's true. It, 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 there's not a. It's not a sort of a black versus white. There's no. You you can you can stand up and speak out, and and you can choose your time, and you can. Uh, but I mean, if you stay true to what what is true for you, I think that's a very good um, line in the sand. And if you see, um, I mean, the other thing we were taught when we were children was to stand up to bullies and, mm. and to, like I say, and to authority when, when it wasn't right. And, and we were all, always told to use our common sense, you know, think mm. with your head. <laughs> and, of course, and, the other, sorry. Yeah, so I mean, you know, you had to you had to think, and I had a big brother, and he was he was bigger than me and stronger, and so I had to innovate around that if I wanted yeah. to um, be able to achieve a goal uh, in competition to him, as it were. Do you see what I mean? Yes. Usually, I did that with words, <laughs> but. But you see, each of us has our own strengths, Rodney, and it may not be everybody's strength to stand up and speak out, but they might have a strength in another area. And and that doesn't mean to say that it's not equally important. 
Um, Well, that's how I see it too. Like I'm, I'm, I couldn't do much fighting, but I always say to people, I'd just lie down in front of the police or, you know, I don't mind. I'd just lie there and they can kick me a bit. And, um, but you know that you would do that. By the way, I think the Kelly J. Keane event was extremely big in New Zealand politically. It was. And I but think... just going back... Sorry. Sorry, yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, but just going back to um, to standing up to bullies, it doesn't mean that you have to stand up physically to bullies. No. You can stand no. up by speaking out. Yes. And in fact, because, that's, you know, yeah. that's all it needs. That's right. And um, as you say, there's more of us. There are more of us than the bully, and it's the That's kids right. that are. It's the kids that are standing around, watching the bully, that are equally as culpable, because they don't stop it. It's the same in an office. You know, if there's a man being inappropriate, or a boss being inappropriate in whatever way, it's the people that watch it and don't say anything. That's um, right. And it all exists. It all exists. And you and I know, and everyone listening knows, that a lot of people knew about the likes of a Jimmy Savile, right? But said nothing. Um, or did nothing, or Harvey Weinstein. You know, they, these these people um don't exist without knowledge of what they're doing. Very rarely does that happen. I mean, you sort of, it's known because of their behavior. Um, And yes, what we're looking for, isn't it, is people to find their mojo. It was a very clever thing, though, because the way they, back then, I still thought Google and Facebook and Twitter were honest. And it, again, was another horrifying thing because you're sort of Googling it and you're getting your news and, and and trying to understand things. And you think when you throw a Google search and you're actually getting a true answer. And now we realize and know that their algorithms and their, uh, their we were being directed to the government narrative. So you were sitting at home, all your community buying into something that you weren't sure about. And you go home and Google it and search on Facebook and Twitter and social media, and even that wasn't allowed to be truthful for people. But then Um, if you use your common sense, you know, I mean, if you've got a pandemic, if you've got a pandemic that suddenly arrives, quote unquote, and then you've got the government saying, oh, well, um, the only solution to this is a vaccine. Well, why is that? Why is that the only solution? Why? Yeah. And but you're much stronger. I, I genuinely, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to um, suck up or um, make your head big. But the funny thing about me is I always doubt myself. You know, I'm always in the back. I got a little Jiminy Cricket saying, Are you sure about this? <laughs> and um, how would you know? And so I'm always tentative. And I love people who 
had that certitude. And I'm thinking, I'm just not sure about this. And then what broke it through for me in particular was safe and effective because I knew that was a lie. I knew they couldn't yeah. know that. I knew, right. I didn't know, I didn't know whether it would be safe or effective, but I knew they couldn't know. And I knew lockdowns went rubbish because I thought if it's as bad a disease as they say it is, they won't need to tell me to stay home. <laughs> I wouldn't go out. Um, exactly. Exactly. And, and if you're yeah. sick, if you get a bad flu, you don't go out. Like Any anyway, symptoms. Yeah. And, and anyway, um, but you are a stronger person than me and then the other thing that caused me to fold and be weak was I was struggling with the enormity of government behavior and social behavior that that that's what got me Mm. because you think you know the Nazis come to power and you're living in Holland or somewhere and you think, oh, yeah, no, I'd be there. I'd be helping the Jewish, you know, and Frank come hop in my attic because mm-hmm. clearly what they're doing is bad. But what I couldn't take, and I hadn't appreciated this, is everyone in my circle is fully on board with, you know, the badness. And the government mm-hmm. is fully on board with the badness. And I just felt rocked to my core. And that weakened, like that, you're in a parallel universe. Yeah, that weakened <laughs> my mind and enormously. And and you know, people like yourself who were writing out gave me such courage. And I didn't know you, right? But I was oh, reading what you were writing, fine. and it gave me such courage. And I remember seeing people with signs complaining about it, and I remember self-consciously tooting my horn in support and thinking, wow, it's not just me, you know. Um, It is lovely. But I I, I was weakened, I guess, by the lack of social approval or something Mm. or or people to talk to. But you're brave too, Rodney, and and what you're doing on um, every day on this program, it's fantastic. First of the articles, uh, some of the first of the articles I wrote, aside from many open letters to the government and from the trenches articles on a weekly basis to Parliament and um, trying to get them to see what was happening, which they probably were fully aware of, I'm sure. Um, The first of the articles I did was in defence of the NZDSOS doctors because they were just amazing and they were being attacked and so I, um, I, I wanted to come in and help support them through um, articles that I did in defence of them. And I, I wrote open letters on their behalf and I wrote to Parliament. I couldn't re- reconcile the Nuremberg Code with what was being rolled out. I couldn't reconcile the Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm. I mean three words. And they were being violated left, right, and centre. So those doctors, those doctors, were amazing. Totally. And and in hindsight, right? What's really shocking is every other doctor. 
And imagine if they all stood up and said, no, we're not doing this. This is wrong. Imagine. Imagine. It would and all I mean, fall into bits. It doesn't even require you to be against a jab. All it requires is for you to say, I use my training and my judgment in advising my patients, and it's not for the government to tell me that's, that I'm wrong. Right. It's not a political question. Right. And of course, there I don't remember the name, but there was a poor doctor who got lacerated in the media and deregistered for saying if you're pregnant, don't get the jab. Yeah, and I that think was it was Matt Shelton. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't realize. Wonderful, that. wonderful man. But I mean <laughs> so history courageous. history has proved him. Absolutely right. Right. There were, no, I mean, there were at that time there were no trials. They hadn't even done anything about pregnant women, so they no, didn't. There were only witch trials for those who spoke out against. Yes, <laughs> and now we know that it's not a good idea, right? That's and, right. I mean, this is a. Here we are, we're talking about all of this and I didn't intend to and 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 but it's such a a staggering time. And I have, funnily enough, nothing but love in my heart, and I do like to hear from people who disagree with me. And I never want to shut anything anyone down or prevent them from living their life. And yet the other side are desperate to do it to me and to you. Well, that makes them right, and it means that they don't have to confront what's really happening. Yes, but you know and whether <coughs> if, if 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 their argument was correct. Yeah, but if they, you come late to the party, I mean, it's okay. You know, of course everyone, it is. Everyone has their own journey, and everyone yes. is on a different stage of that journey. Yes. And and, and you know, you, you might interview on the radio and I might write articles, but other people can just quietly speak to their friends. And mm. word of mouth is a fantastic thing, mm. you know. Each of us, I believe, I really believe each of us has a gift in these lives we are living. Mm. And, and when we find it, it's very hard to ignore following along that, mm. um, that path that, uh, well, you must have life. you must have felt too that you were put on earth and trained as you were for that a purpose because your nurse training, your experience of very harsh physical and mental resilience and the mountaineering and whatnot, and then your writing. I always had a guide with me though. <laughs> And you're well. You married one, yeah. Um, you, you, you. If I'd married Charlie, I would be an experienced mountaineer by now too, wouldn't I? Oh, but no. I'm. I'm just. I'm a very amateur. No, yeah. you know, Charlie. I know man. what. I know. I know. Yeah. Charlie's a man. I'd marry him too if I had the chance. But, <laughs> um, I would. Um, 
so all, your writing ability, your understanding of medicine, nursing, your courage, your resilience, it all came together in your writing, didn't it? Actually, and, and I, I do that. I've been um, path that I've been on, and and all I can draw on those skills to be able yes. to do what I can to help now positively. You know, and even your dad, and very strong influence. Like he he lost a job, which I've probably told you when he was a young young teenager. He lost a job his family needed because called business manager a liar and he was a liar and he was told to apologise or he'd lose his job and he refused to apologise because he said I was a liar and he made the other employee lose his job so dad was without a job but then he had to innovate around that and on the way home wondering how he was going to break the news to the family he he found a business opportunity, um, writing tickets for butcher shops, and he went in and said, "Can I write your? I can write those tickets better. Can can I show you?" And they said yes. So he enrolled in a little night school course and quickly did it, and then went back and got himself a few shillings there, and and then picked up another job, and then anyway, in the end, he attained his dream of having becoming a farmer and owning a farm. And and he was always successful because he had to rely on his own innovation, but he had that bedrock um, sense of fairness of play. And he paid was prepared to pay enormous price. That's right. And, and not just for him, but for he was a young he was a boy, and he paid that price on behalf of of his family. And then failure is not an option because you have to eat. Right. So he innovated. It's extraordinary. It's a wonderful story. And all of that's come together with you. How do listeners find your writing? Oh, um, um, Rodney, I just have to tell you a little end, end part to that story. Um, <clears throat> when he was 70, I put on a surprise life uh, party for dad and um, I found the um, the employer of that company and I asked him to come along and give a speech on dad and he did and he said it was the worst day's work I ever did stacking this man <laughs> and that was beautiful dad just loved it my god that was like 55 years later that's right. That's right. And the man that sacked them wasn't the one that he accused of lying. No, he was the boss of the company. Wow. Yeah. God, that's a circle, that was, isn't it? It was. It was a beautiful circle. It was really how, do, how do listeners... Mary, I'm talking to Mary Hobbs. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. It's Reality Check Radio. How do listeners find your beautiful writing? Well, my articles, um, <clears throat> I do have a website, maryhobbswriter.co.nz, 
my articles are mainly on uh, dailytelegraph.co.nz. Um, there's a wonderful editor there, and he does great work trying to bring uh, a balanced view, and and he has uh, many articles that are really uh, excellent. Mm. He's somebody you should interview, actually, Rodney. He's a great person. I will. You can't get a better recommendation than one coming from Mary Hobbs. Mary, we're <laughs> gonna we're gonna have to have you back because we've oh, sort of thanks. we've sort of explained who you are, but we haven't covered off um, what you've been writing about. And um, they always they always make me think, and they always cause me to see the world in a different, better way. And I appreciate them enormously. And it'd be great oh, to have thanks. you back. And you have um, a wonderful humanity about you. Oh, thank you, Rodney. It's mm. very, very kind. Well, um, very kind to um, feel very blessed to know you. We've been talking to Mary Hobbs. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, Really Check Radio. Please send me a text at 2057. Send me an email at inbox at readilycheck.radio. And you can find uh, Mary's writing on the Daily Telegraph and also on her webpage. Google Mary Hobbs Writer in New Zealand and you'll see her webpage. You'll see her wonderful books, just my brilliant, beautiful books that she has written and produced. And you'll find out a little bit about her. and. Um, the love of her life, Charlie. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio.